Hi, the Legal Eagles over at Shout Factory would like us to point out that this radio play doesn't represent Mystery Science Theater, Shout Factory, or Alterniversal. It's an unofficial fan production, and we hope you enjoy it. This production is sponsored by Damn Dirty Geeks and the Revival League, bringing old-timey radio back to life. This play is rated NSFW, not safe for work, at least not without earbuds. It contains violence, graphic language, and grown-up situations, and may not be suitable for small children. The views and opinions expressed in this play are solely those of the authors, and do not reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, organization, employer, or company. Good evening, and welcome to Albert Kitchlock Presents The Films That Blew Too Much. My name is Albert Kitchlock, and tonight I present for your consideration five tales of the macabre. Each one has been carefully selected for its thrilling suspense and bizarre Freudian undertones. Speaking of Freud... I suppose you're wondering about the awful racket. Well, my analyst tells me that I should find a creative outlet for my aggression, and the Superior Court of the County of Los Angeles tells me that I am no longer allowed to force Kim Novak to wear the revealing clothes that I have selected for her. Therefore, as part of my therapy, I am currently jackhammering crudely drawn penises into the exterior walls of David O. Selznick's Beverly Hills estate. Juvenile, perhaps, but confronting one's feelings is important. Otherwise, one is liable to act out in a regrettable way, like the heroine of our first playlet. In this story, a young woman's rash act sets her on a journey into darkness, ending in a most peculiar motel a motel run by a nice young man and his rather not-so-nice mother. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present Batshit. Phoenix, Arizona, Friday, December the 11th, 2.43 p.m., partly cloudy. You can't see it, but we're doing a really cool tracking shot right now across the Phoenix skyline and right through a hotel window. Pity this is radio. Okay. 
We are at the window now. Let's listen. You sure you have to go, Mary? Yes. I'm late, and these long lunch hours give my boss indigestion. You could call him. Tell him you're taking the rest of the day off. To do what? Walk you to the airport? We could laze around here a little longer. Checkout time is 3.30. Cheap hotels like this aren't interested in when you come in, but when your time's up. That's foreshadowing, folks. What? Uh, Nothing. Oh, Sam. I hate meeting you in a place like this. Oh, it's not so bad. I'm just sick of all the secrecy. Only meeting when you can get to town on business, sneaking off during lunch breaks to cheap motels. Come on, Mary. You act as if we're doing something wrong. We're both single. It's not like we're doing anything unsavory. (sighs) Well, I feel unsavory, Sam. It's as if we're adulterers or something. This place is so... so seedy. You're just angry because the bathroom's dirty. Well, can't they clean between guests? I just took the most unpleasant shower I've ever had in a hotel. (laughs) Boy, you are not going to like where this movie is hidden. What? Nothing. Oh, Sam, why can't we get married? Look, I want to marry, believe me. But right now, I'm paying off my dead father's debts, and I'm still paying alimony to my ex-wife. Oh, Sam, you know I don't care about all that. Well, I do. In a couple of years, my debts will be paid. But right now, I couldn't give you the kind of life you deserve. Unless I suddenly came into a large sum of untraceable money somehow. Like if, you know, $40,000 in cash just suddenly fell into my lap. (laughs) Boy, if that happened, I could pay off my debts and we could get married tomorrow. Oh, Sam. But who am I getting? (laughs) Nobody just hands you $40,000 in untraceable cash. (sighs) I guess we'll just have to be patient. I'm back from lunch, Carol. Any calls? Your sister called to say she was going to Tucson for the weekend to do some buying. Thanks. Is Mr. Lowry back yet? He's having lunch with the customer who's buying the Harris property. He should be back any time. I'm back, girls. Told you. Mr. Cassidy, these are my secretaries, Mary Thrush and Carol, who isn't important enough to have a last name. Girls, this is our customer, Mr. Cassidy, an obnoxious cartoon oil man. Concerned, it's as hot as fresh milk out here. By Jehoshaphat, this kind of heat is as useless as tits on a bull. I'd say it makes me madder in a wet hand, but then you girls might think I'm all hat and no cattle. Texas! Mary, do you have the contract for the Harris property? Yes, Mr. Lowry. You girls ought to get your boss to air condition you up. He can afford it today. My baby's getting married tomorrow, and I'm buying her a house. $40,000 in untraceable cash. Just look at that wad of bills. I declare. I don't. That's how I get to keep it. Nope, the IRS knows nothing about this little real estate deal we got going. Mr. Cassidy, a cash transaction of this size? Oh, relax, Lowry. I never carry more than I can afford to lose. Of course, I am an admitted tax cheat, which means if this money were to disappear, I couldn't involve the authorities at all. Yes, sir. Anyone who got a mind to steal it would face no criminal repercussions whatsoever. But what are the chances of that? Here, Mary Darlin, why don't you hang on to this giant stack of bills? In the meantime, Lowry, let's you and I have a drink. Just step into my office, Mr. Cassidy. I'll be right with you. I don't want that much money in the office over the weekend. Go deposit it at the bank on your way home, would you, Mary? Certainly, Mr. Lowry. Thanks, Mary. 
I'd hate to think what would happen if that money fell into the hands of someone who desperately needed $40,000 in untraceable cash. Why, it being Friday, a thief would have a whole weekend head start before anyone knew the money was missing. And it being 1960, before the advent of national computerized communications, the chances of getting away with the theft would be exceedingly good. Well, I've got to get in there and entertain our customer. You girls have a good weekend. Have a nice weekend, Mr. Lowry. Goodbye, Mr. Lowry. Well, I'm off. What are your plans for the weekend, Mary? Nothing much. I I think I'll just go home and pace around my bedroom in my symbolic black bra. After you deposit the money at the bank, of course. (laughs) Uh, 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 Of course. (laughs) I'm absolutely going to deposit these 40,000 untraceable dollars in our company account. What else would I be doing? Certainly not using this preternaturally convenient windfall to solve all my problems. <laughs> well, goodbye. Nothing. What? Who's asking? I, 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 I mean, oh, 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 goodbye. $40,000 in untraceable cash. It's wrong to take it. But this could be exactly what Sam needs to get out of debt. And that Texas oil man is such a slime. Okay, Mary, you're doing this. I'm doing this. I'm actually doing this. I'm blowing town with stolen money. Oh, God. What will everyone think of me? Carol, is Mary in yet? Not yet, Mr. Lowry. But then she's always a little late on Mondays. She's still not in. Have you tried her sister? Yes, Mr. Lowry. She thought Mary was here. What do you mean your secretary's missing with my money? That no good rack of fracking little thief! I told you, no gunfire indoors. Look, Cassidy, a girl works for you ten years. You trust her. Well, I'll find her. And if any money's missing, I'll take the balance from her fine, soft flesh. That's creepy. You're listening to KGLT, The Guilt. Shrieking violins and accusatory echoing voices. All day, every day. Eighteen hours later. This rain. Can't see anything. I'd better find a place to stop for the night. What's that sign up ahead? Baines Motel. Thank God. Hello? Hi there. Nasty night, isn't it? Do you have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. They move the highway. I thought I'd gotten off the main road. I I knew you must have. No one ever stops here anymore unless they're lost. (laughs) But we keep lighting the lights and observing the formalities. Would you like a room? Please. Okay, we'll give you cabin one. It's closer to the office here. If you need anything. Thank you, Mr. Baines. Herman Baines. Thank you, Herman. But right now, all I need is sleep. 
And maybe some food. Uh, well, there's a big diner up the road about ten miles. Uh, or if you like to, I'd be very pleased if you'd eat with me. I was just about to make dinner. You could come up to the house. You mean that horrifying, obviously haunted Gothic mansion up on the hill? Yes, that's the one. I, I don't set a fancy table, but the kitchen's awfully homey. Thank you. That would be lovely. Uh, all right. You wait here, and I'll be back when it's ready. What an odd little man. <sighs> At least the rain has stopped. Hmm. I'd better figure out how to hide this $40,000. I know. I'll wrap it up in this convenient newspaper. There. Now it just looks like an ordinary folded-up newspaper. No one will ever... I said no, boy! Is that coming from the house up there? No, no, I tell you. I won't have you bringing any cheap bluesies into my house for supper. By candlelight, I suppose, after the cheap erotic fashion of young men with cheap erotic minds. Mother, that's ridiculous. She's, she's just a stranger. She's hungry. Just a stranger? As if men don't desire strangers. Go on, boy, tell her she won't be appeasing her wanted appetites with my food or my son. Or do I have to tell her because you don't have the guts? Shut up! Shut up! I, I, I'm sorry. Would it be okay if we ate in the office? Mother, my mother, well, she isn't quite herself today. Your mother? That was clearly just you doing, like, a, a Muppet voice or something. No, no, that was definitely my mother. Uh, she's always sounded like a Muppet. The doctors say it's a con congenital throat problem. <sighs> okay, then. But I've got a nice tray of food here. Sandwiches, milk, and some nice cassava melon to go with them. W would you still like some dinner? Of course. Wonderful. Uh, let's go back into the parlor behind the office. It's much more comfortable there. Lead the way. Here we are. Have a seat. My, there's certainly a lot of stuffed birds in here. They're symbolic. What? Nothing. Taxidermy is my hobby, you see. My, what, what an unusual hobby. Why don't you have a seat there by all the small defenseless songbirds... And I'll sit over here next to the terrifying birds of prey. Thank you. Well, well we've got quite the spread here. Uh, what would you like? I'd actually love a piece of that cassava melon. Of course. Just let me cut it up. Here you go. Thank you. Oh, but that piece is a little too large for me to deal with all at once. Would you mind cutting it into thirds? Uh, of course. Here you are. Thank you. It looks delicious. W would you like a sandwich? I'd love one. Oh, but probably not the whole one. I'll cut this one in half. Thank you. You eat like a bird. <laughs> You'd know, of course. Not really. Besides, I hear that expression is really a, a f falsity. Because birds actually eat a tremendous lot. But I don't really know anything about birds. I just stuff them. Well, every man should have a hobby, especially way out here in the middle of nowhere. Doesn't your time get a little empty? Oh, not really. I, I take care of the motel, I read, I do chores. 
Those my mother allows I'm capable of anyway. Go out with friends? Well, <laughs> a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Sometimes, when she t talks to me like that, I, I want to curse her and leave her forever. But I, I know I can't. Shouldn't you, uh, I don't know, do something? Do something? You mean like put her in an institution? A madhouse? Actually, I meant, like, stop talking to yourself. She's clearly just you doing a silly voice. <laughs> Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The screams? The cold eyes staring at you? My mother? There? But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I'm sorry. I... I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their tongues and they shake their heads and they suggest, oh, so very delicately. Not that... I haven't suggested it myself, but I hate to even think of it. Besides, it isn't as if she's a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Again, she's clearly you. We all go a little mad sometimes. Well, the meal was lovely, Herman, but I've really got to get to bed. Really? Already? You don't want to sit and talk just for a little while? I'd like to, but I've got a long drive ahead of me tomorrow. All the way back to Phoenix. Really? Yes. I stepped into a trap back there. I'd like to see if it's not too late to get myself out of it. Well, that was cryptic. Come on, I'll show you your room. Well, here we are. The, the mattress is soft, and they're stationary with Bane's Motel on it if you want to make your friends back home envious. <laughs> and the, um... Over there. The bathroom. Mother calls it the naked place for dirty whores and said I should be ashamed that I ever go in there at all. What? Nothing. Well, thank you, Herman, and thank you for dinner, and now I think I'll take a nice hot shower and go to bed. Aren't you going to wait for me to leave? I guess not. I'll just wait here then, I guess. Ah. <sighs> Gosh, I sure do feel better now that I've decided to go back to Phoenix and return that money. Boy, what was I thinking when I stole it? By gumbo. Sam and I will wait until we can get married, honestly, and it'll just make it that much sweeter when we finally can. After all, we have plenty of time. Yes, my life is looking up. And now to take a cleansing shower. Herman, why are you dressed in woman's clothes? And a wig? What? Um, I mean, no, I am Herman's mother. You're clearly not. Come to think of it, I, I'm pretty sure I could actually hear you changing into that dress in the other room just now. Oh, you, you could not. Um, I mean, you won't take my son from me, you harlot. <laughs> show you.
going to get wet. Mother? Mother, I'm back from dinner. That's odd. Why are mother's clothes on the floor in the hallway? Wait. Mother! Oh, God, mother! Blood! Blood! Miss, are you here? I just wanted to... Well, damn it. Thanks a lot, Mother. I'm going to have to sink another car into the swamp. Oh, stop complaining, you ungrateful boy. I'm supposed to be grateful for this? There's blood everywhere. Do you have any idea how hard it's going to be to get it out of the grouting? Oh, boy. She's a lot heavier than she looks. Okay, Mother. I'm going to load this poor lady into the trunk of her own car, along with all of her possessions, and sink it into the swamp. I suppose you'll want me to come along. I think you sort of have to. Fine, but hurry it up. That Dobie Gillis program is coming on in half an hour, and I don't want to miss the beginning. Ooh, that Maynard G. Krebs is just a hoot. Fine. I'm sorry my covering up your crime is eating into your television schedule. <clears throat> <clears throat> and now we just toss in her makeup, her clothes, and, oh, this weird rolled-up newspaper. I'm sure that's nothing. Okay, we're off to the swamp. Again. You know what they call people like that Maynard G. Krebs, dear? Beatniks. Isn't that a funny word? Shut up, shut up, shut up. The following week at the hardware store owned by Samuel Lutz. Sam Lutz? Yes. Can I help you? I'm Mary Thrush's sister. Of course, Lila. How can I... Uh, Sam, is Mary here? Where? Here. Here? Is Mary with you? Is Mary with me? That's what I'm asking you. Why are you asking me? Because I want to know if Mary's here. Where? Here with you. Here with me? Third base. Who are you? Franklin Arbogast, private investigator. Let's all talk about Mary, shall we? Will someone please tell me what's going on? Well, Mr. Lutz, last Friday, your girlfriend took off with $40,000 of her company's money in untraceable cash. What? I don't believe it! It's true, Sam. Do you have any idea what would possess her to do such a thing, Mr. Lutz? What? Uh, no, no, uh, of course not. O who's asking? We figured she'd probably be on her way here. Sam, they don't want to prosecute. They just want the money back. It's true. I work for the insurance company, and we'd rather everything be kept in-house. So if you know where she is... But I don't. You say she left town last Friday? She should have been here long ago if she was coming here. But I haven't seen her, I swear. Oh, God, maybe something happened to her. Relax, Lila. What could possibly have happened to her? 
Well, last week she she accidentally burned some meatloaf and said, you mark my words, with my luck, one day I'll be knifed to death in a motel shower. You don't think? Don't be ridiculous. I'm sure she's fine. Now she's probably dead. I mean, I've traced her route, and she was obviously headed here, but sometime on Saturday she just vanished. So if she hasn't made contact, she's almost certainly dead. Oh, God! What? What'd I say? Come on, Arbogast! But Lila, your idea about motels is a good one. I think I'll check out the motels and boarding houses in this area. Maybe Mary stopped in one of those to sort of take stock of her situation before she got here. Figure out how to explain that 40 grand to Loverboy here. Yes, maybe that's it. You know, before she was murdered. No! Damn it, Arbogast! Okay, you two stay where I can find you. I'm going to check the hotels in the area. If I find anything at all, I'll let you know. Thank you, Detective. You know, like where her body was dumped. No! Talk to you later! Evening. Evening. You Baines? Herman Baines, yes sir. You know, I've been to so many motels today, I feel like I got neon burns in my eyeballs. But yours is the first that looks like it's hiding from the world. I almost missed it. <laughs> yes, it's a bit off the off the beaten path since they moved the highway. W- would you like a room? No, I'm actually looking for a girl. Might have stopped by here. A girl? Yes, Franklin Arbogast, P.I. As I said, Mr. Baines, I'm just trying to find a missing girl. Family trouble. They want to find her, make amends, that sort of thing. Sure. Here's a picture. Recognize her? Mother knifed her to death in the naked place for dirty whores. What? Uh, I mean, no. Doesn't look familiar. Are you sure? She might have been in disguise. I I don't think. Uh, Wait. Um, um, yes, yes. Uh, uh, She came in late one night, uh, Saturday, I think. What did she do? She, uh... She just said um, that she was uh, very tired, yes. She said that she was very tired and had to get up early in the morning because she had uh, a long drive. Mm-hmm. So she left the following morning, Sunday. Yes, uh, sun- Sunday, yes. I see. And Mr. Baines, you wouldn't be hiding this lady, would you? Of course not. And if she were to tell you a story like she was in trouble and needed protection, you'd know she was taking advantage of you, right? Uh, Mr. Arbogast. I can't be taken advantage of, not even by a woman. Easy, pal. I'm not saying that. Let me put it this way. She may have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Your mother? Yes, my, my mother is an in, an invalid. That's her looking out the window up at the house. You mean that figure looking out of the second-story window to the left? Yes, that's my mother. Um, that's clearly a preserved corpse. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it... Mr. Arbogast, I don't think I want to talk to you anymore. I, I I think it would be a very good thing if you left now. Have it your way, Mr. Baines. A pleasant evening to you.
Sam, is Lila there? Yes, put her on, please. Lila, Arbogast here. Uh, look, I found out that your sister was in the area. She spent Saturday night at the Baines Motel, a little hole in the wall way off the main highway. No, I spoke to the manager, Herman Baines. He identified her, said she spent Saturday night there and left early Sunday morning. No, to be honest, the whole thing doesn't sit right with me. I think there's more to the story. Look, I'm going to go back there and try to lean on Baines a little harder. No, 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 you sit tight. I'll call you back in an hour or less. Baines, it's me, Arbogast. Uh, sorry to just come into the house like this, but I had just a couple more questions. Baines? Baines, are you upstairs? I'm coming up. Baines? Die, interloper! Baines? Why are you wearing a dress? I'm not... I... I'm not Herman. I'm Mrs. Baines. You're clearly not. Ow! Jeez, fine. You're Mrs. Baines. Have another, Snoop. Ow! Oh! Ah! Oh! Ah! Oh! Damn it! Right on my knife wound! Oh! Ah! Uh. Dead. Um... Uh, Herman, Herman, dear, it's a lovely night. Uh, how would you like to go out and sink another car into the swamp? Sam, we need to do something. Arbogast said he'd call back in an hour or less, and that was last night. Yes, I suppose we should probably check up on him. Where did you say he was going? Some place called the Baines Motel. He said he found out that Mary stayed there Saturday. Oh, yes, I know that place. Run by Herman Baines. Nice kid. A little shy. Keeps his mother's preserved corpse in the bedroom. Wait, what was that last part? Keeps his mother's preserved corpse in the bedroom. Sometimes dresses up like her and waves knives around, too. Good old Herman. Are you kidding? And my sister stayed there? Jesus Christ! What? It's just Herman. Sam, Mary disappears after staying in a motel run by a cross-dressing grave robber. And no one thinks that's odd. He obviously needs to be locked up. Oh, come on. What possible basis would anyone have for locking him up? Well, have you tried telling the sheriff that he has his mother's preserved corpse in a bedroom? Of course not. That's Herman's business. That's Herman's... Are you kidding? Just call the damn sheriff. <sighs> Fine. But I'm telling you, we're wasting his time. You'll see. The sheriff is not going to make a federal case of it just because Herman Baines keeps his mother's preserved corpse in the bedroom. This is a total waste of... Hello, sheriff? Sam Lutz here. Look, I'm sorry. You're probably going to think this is a total waste of time, but I've got a hysterical girl here <laughs> insisting I call you. It's about Herman Baines. Fifteen minutes later, at the sheriff's office. Excuse me, Sheriff Chambers. Just wanted to let you know the SWAT team's back. 
We kicked in the door and arrested Herman Baines, just like you said. Wow. I guess it wasn't a waste of time. Sheriff, has he told you anything? Well, not exactly. We got the story all right, but we got it from Herman's mother. Herman's mother? Well, actually just Herman doing like a Muppet voice or something. What I want to know is why nobody thought to tell me that the crazy hermit at the abandoned motel had been keeping preserved corpses on the premises. I mean, no one in this whole town thought that that was a red flag? Well, we all figured it was none of our business. Jesus Christ! Sheriff, he feels a chill. Can we give him a blanket? Go ahead. Yes, sir. Here you go, Herman. Thank you. It's sad when a mother has to speak the words that condemn her son. They'll put him away now, as I should have long ago. He was always bad. Why, he intended to tell them that I killed those girls, and that man, and those traveling circus clowns, as if I could do a thing like that. As if I could do anything but sit here and stare like one of his stuffed birds. They're probably watching now. Well, let them watch. Let them see what kind of person I am. I'll just sit here and be quiet. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why? She wouldn't even harm a fly. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ, that's a bee! Bee! Well, that was depressing, wasn't it? You will all be edified to know that the $40,000 was recovered in its entirety when the authorities raised Mary's car for the swamp and was still perfectly legal tender despite the extensive bloodstains. Sam and Lila eventually married and then both died on the same day in entirely unrelated steam shovel accidents. As for Herman Baines... He joined the amateur drama club at his mental institution and I'm told he made quite the splash in the title role of Euripides' Oedipus Rex. May I add, I'm deathly afraid of bees on account of how often they mistake me for that rotund honey bear, Winnie the Pooh. Yes, I really must resume wearing my trousers. If our previous maternal tale of murder didn't make you want to shower off its slimy residue, our next story certainly will. Soon, I shall introduce you to a stylish serial murder in London of the 1970s. This man about town cut quite a figure with the ladies, if you take my meaning. I'm not saying that this man hated women, no, quite the contrary. He loved women to death. You might say he had them in an absolute frenzy. Our gentle maniac led London's bobbies on a merry murder spree. For weeks, the police failed to tie the killings to him 
until one day there came quite a hitch in the investigation. Oh, I do like that one. A hitch. <laughs> hitch. <laughs> do forgive me. I, I shouldn't go on stoking my own ego. It's actually been years since I've been able to reach it, let alone view it. But never mind that. I guarantee that this next twisted tale will have you gasping for air with surprise as I pick up this phone receiver and dial N for necktie. <laughs> Hitch. Change, sir. New West End murder. Naked women strangle a man's tie. Jack the Clipper strikes again. Get your paper, Governor. Three pence buys all the gruesome details. Step right up. Rough into paper. Let me have a paper, boy. There's a good lad. Keep the change. Crikey! Fifty pence? Thank you very much, sir. Get your papers here. Sorry, sirs, no admittance. Police business. Chief Inspector Harold Murray, Scotland Yard. This is Inspector Robert Harris. We're here to investigate the murder scene. If you'll let us pass. Righto, inspectors. First floor apartment in the back. Thank you, officer. Come on, Harris. killer is, he sure is keeping me busy day and night these past two weeks. Third murder call of his I've been on myself, sir. Ah, Murray, is that you? Indeed, Porter. This is our new man at the yard, Inspector Robert Harris. Harris, this is the city's medical examiner, Albert Porter. How do you do, sir? Uh, pleased to meet you, Inspector. I'm sure Murray can use your help. This case gets stranger every day. This is the work of our same necktie killer. As far as I can tell, it's Jack the Clipper, all right. Look, victim strangled to death with a cheap polyester clip-on tie. Bruises and lacerations around the throat. She struggled to no avail. So he's big, powerful, and angry at all these women. And at full-length neckties. What makes you think he's mad at long neckties? Well, if I'm not overstepping my bounds. No, go on, Harris. This man refused to kill his victims with a long tie, which would be easiest. Plenty of leverage in a regular tie to pull it tight around the throat. Strangling a victim with a short clip-on tie is hard work for the killer. He's making a deliberate choice to use a clip-on as his deadly calling card. Hence, Jack the Clipper. Yes, and why are Jack's victims left naked, Harris? Cheap R-rated thrills added to titillate a 1970s audience, sir. Spot on, Harris. See, what did I tell you about this lad, Porter? Smart as a whip. Watch your back, Murray. He'll be after your job soon. Not at all, sir. Just my initial observation. And a good one. 
Though you overlook one crucial detail, Harris. Sir? It's not so much that Jack hates long ties, but more that he loves clip-on ties. Uh, to the point of fetish, one might deduce. You're right, it's not the typical tie one would use in strangulation. It's short, cheap, and wildly out of fashion. So why does he insist on strangling women with it? Is it for some sort of sexual thrill he derives from the struggle? This is the clipper's fifth victim, choked with an untieable tie. Or is it? You've lost me, sir. If you'll carefully turn the victim on her side. I meant by her shoulders, Harris. Porter, make a note of that when you search for fingerprints. You'll find Harris's in abundance all over her right breast. Sorry, sir. Mum. Now, regard the bruising on her neck from the tie. What do you notice about it? A large bruise, deep indentation on the neck from pressure applied during strangulation, consistent with the killer's M.O. and previous victims. Yes, but you're missing the obvious. What's obvious, sir? I'm afraid I don't see anything obvious, Mary. What are you getting at? The bruise caused by the knot. That knot is not the knot of this clip-on tie wrapped around her throat. It's not the knot? Precisely. Jack the Clipper is not strangling his victims with a clip-on tie at all. I repeat, he is not using a clip-on knot to garrot this knot. The bruise from the tie knot is not small enough to be the knot of an untieable clip-on tie. This knot is a hand-tied knot on a regularly knotted tie one ties with both hands. Chief Inspector, you don't mean... Yes, Porter. This cheap blue clip-on is a red herring. This tiny knot is not the murder weapon knot at all. So this means that Jack the Clipper is Jack the Knot Clipper. Just so, Harris. Our killer isn't satisfied choking his victims with a cheap costume tie like this one. No, gentlemen. Jack the Clipper is really Jack the Tire. Doesn't make for a catchy headline, admittedly, but it is a fact. Well done, sir. Top draw detective work, Murray. Yes, now it's falling into place. The killer isn't some smarmy, mustached Lothario strutting around town in Italian zip-up boots and garish, ill-fitted suits who clips on a tie out of laziness and a depraved lack of fashion sense. No, no. He's a sophisticated man, well-dressed, perhaps even a clothes horse about fashion, disguising his crimes as those of a swinging 70s produce wholesaler. But in reality, he's a refined, finely-dressed gentleman, because in England, murder is a gentleman's game, after all. Maybe the type of tie-knot will tell us more about the killer, Inspector? Now you're thinking, Harris. Quick, tell me what you observe about the markings on this poor woman's bare flesh. Hmm. They look like faint freckles to me. Fairly ordinary. The areola appears undamaged and quite supple, sir. <sighs> Harris, control yourself. I'm talking about the bruises on her neck. Higher up, pervert. Sorry, sir. Mum. Uh, you're, you're right, Inspector. It's too large of a bruise to be caused by the imprint of a thin, useless, impotent clip-on tie. Yes, go on. It's a large tie-knot with plenty of girth. A thicker more tumescent fabric with stiff creases in the knot folds. You can read the knot pattern clearly in the bruise marks. Excellent, Harris. It's all making sense now, isn't it? 
Not only is our Jack the Nut Clipper not a clip-on tie killer, he is a gentleman murderer in the finest British fashion, and a fashionable tie connoisseur as well. And he strips his victims naked, sir. Uh, clearly he is not alone in that preference, is he, Harris? Kindly remove your hand from that poor woman at once. Sorry, sir. Mum. Honestly, Harris. We all know she was strangled. Why are you even looking for marks on her thighs? Make another note about fingerprints on the body, will you, Porter? Yes, Murray. I now suspect that Jack the Nut Clipper's use of clip-on ties is meant to distract us from identifying his true murder weapon tie. And all this is tied to London's long history of necktie-related killers. Porter, do you remember, oh, five or six years back, we both worked on the case of the Prince Albert murders? Well, how could I forget? Surely Prince Albert was not a tie killer. Not the prince himself. No, it was the Prince Albert nut he tied while hanging his victims. Of course. You captured the Prince Albert killer, Chief Inspector? Yes, with Porter's help. Now Prince Albert is doing 50 years. In the can. But he was just the start of it, Harris. You mean there have been more necktie killers? Oh, yes, my lad. A whole string of them. I believe it all started with the Stancock Strangler just after the war, then the bigwig butcher of Baker Street, then the infamous Duke of Windsor, Lenny Cravats, the Bolo Beast of Berkshire, the Blue Oyster who cut off his victim's head with a string of pearls. That was his fatal mistake. The pearls he chose were so smooth and of such high quality he sawed back and forth on her neck for days before even making a dent. And then there was the collar. The serial killer who posed as a priest. Who would choke his victims during confession with his clerical collar. But don't forget Ari Oscott. How could I? One of our strangest neckwear murder cases yet. Who, sir? Ari Ascot, London's first serial killer jockey. Only murdered victims shorter than three foot six inches tall with a little bow tie. Tiny fingered fiend. Then came that awful night. Four victims strangled between dusk and dawn. The press called it the four-in-hand frenzy. Our main suspect was an immigrant haberdasher we called the four-in-hand. How did you catch him, Chief Inspector? He didn't, my son. Ah, Porter's right. I'm afraid the four-in-hand slipped through my fingers. Chief Inspector's never forgiven himself for that one. No matter how hard I knuckled down... I could never discover the foreign hand's real identity. And, Harris, will you stop fondling that poor woman, you debauched deviant? Sorry, sir, Mum, but I was just picking up this piece of lint off her chest. I thought it might be a clue to... Wait! Polyester ties do not leave lint behind, Harris. It's a man-made synthetic fabric derived from purified terephthalic acid, so it cannot possibly leave cast-off traces of lint like cotton or... Easy on the lad, Murray. Yes, Harris, you're a genius. My apologies. You found traces of lint like one might find from a cotton blend tie or wool. Wool, Inspector? Yes, wool. A much softer material that would not leave sharp crease marks from a knot tied around a woman's throat. Wool ties have softer creases and folds. 
but their frequently nubby textures would quite easily leave similar indentation lines on the bruised skin if pulled side to side while strangling the victim. So the clip-on red herring was just a diversion to steer us away from the real red herring that the murder tie wasn't polyester. It was a wool tie. But Murray, no one wears wool ties anymore. They've long gone out of fashion. And you said yourself, our Jack the Knot Clipper serial killing tie strangler was a proper British gentleman murderer with a keen fashion sense. And so he is, Gordon. Who would be a more distinguished proper British gentleman serial killer with a keen fashion sense in strangling women than a gentleman of the old school? content to wear classic, if outdated, garments and accessories until they return to style once again. Do you mean? It can't be. But it is, gentlemen. Our Jack the Clipper persona is merely a fashion and forensic disguise for the true killer of these women. The foreign hand. And I can prove it. How, Inspector? Look closely again at the bruise on the victim's neck, Harris. Yes, sir. Without fondling her, Harris. Sorry, sir. Mum. What is not true about that knot that proves she wasn't choked with a clip-on tie knot? It looks to me like an old-fashioned overhand knot, sir. Precisely. The foreign hand's signature knot, the four in hand. But he's added a new wrinkle to his knot-tying, gentlemen, to throw us off tying this tie to him. But wool ties don't wrinkle, Murray. No. The wrinkle in the tie knot is a metaphor. The overhand knot in the tie is what proves the foreign hand tied this foreign hand knot. Because this overhand knot is not overhanded, it's underhanded. An underhanded overhand? Oh, the foreign hand is underhanded, all right. But more to the point, he's left-handed. That's what I got wrong all those years. Trying to tie this tie knot to the foreign hand's hands. So... It's an overhand knot tied underhand. Not at all. Don't you understand? This clip-on tie knot is not the tie knot the killer used to murder this woman. The foreign hand tied a foreign hand knot backwards by trying an overhand knot left-handed, which makes him one very underhanded knot tire of tie knots. So you can tell how underhanded the foreign hand is by the way his overhand knot is not tied the right way. Yes, because he doesn't tie a normal right-handed foreign hand overhand knot when he ties a tie. Instead, he ties a left-handed overhand knot meant to look like a right-handed overhand knot. And that is the mark of an underhanded, knot-tying tie knotter of foreign hand tie knots. So... You're saying this left-handed, overhand, forehand tie knot must be the work of an underhanded tie knotter because only such a tie tire would think of tying a right-handed, overhand knot left-handed in such an underhanded fashion that the fashion sense of the forehand's forehand tie knot would allow him to tie a right-handed tie knot that does not give away that the overhand tie knot was actually tied left-handed. Oh. Indeed. This foreign hand overhand knot looks like the knot was tied right side up, making him the most underhanded overhand tie knot tire of foreign hand tie knots. The infamous foreign hand tie knot murderer. Brilliant, Murray, simply brilliant. And if my deduction is correct, we have only moments to catch the foreign hand red-handed before he slips through my fingers again. Come, Harris, we can still arrest him. Now, sir? Not a moment to lose. How could I be so blind and deaf not to identify him earlier? 
We walked past the foreign hand not 15 minutes ago. We did? When? Where? Right before we turned the corner where... Western murders free. Jack the Clipper strikes terror with time murders. Nobody in the economic recession of the early 1970s in Britain where we are now... Boy, you two keep running across the road in front of me cab, you tots. Would buy a three-penny newspaper with a 50p coin and leave the change to a paper boy. Not unless he was a well-to-do, fashion-conscious, tie-knotting serial killer. <sighs> Who tosses coins into a cup left-handed. Right you are, Harris. And there he is. Sir, halt where you are. I am Chief Inspector Harold Murray of Scotland Yard, and I arrest you for crimes commonly known as the Jack the Clipper murders. What's all this, my good man? I have no idea what you're raving about. Unhand me, sir. You can't fool me this time, foreign hand. What in deuces are you? The tie has given you away, murderer. Who else would be wearing a classic but outdated wool tie tied with a foreign hand tie knot but the foreign hand himself? He's right, sir. Your tie knot. It looks like a right-handed, overhand, one-hand tie knot. Well, it's really an underhanded, left-handed. Oh. Four-in-hand tie knot that appears to have been tied overhand, right-handed, tied just as the throat bruises on Jack the Clipper's latest victim indisputably indicates, sir. <laughs> At last you have found me, Mary. As one of London's finest gentleman murderers, I salute your perseverance in solving my lengthy, unsolved killing spree. It's a shame I won't live for you to convict me. What are you doing? I'm hanging myself with my own tie. You can't do that. Watch me, Mary. <laughs> you lose <coughs> again. <laughs> no, I mean, you literally can't hang yourself with your own tie. <coughs> you <coughs> never <coughs> take me alive. <coughs> uh, don't be stupid. The physics of it are impossible. You can't simply grab the end of your own tie and pull up to hang yourself. Uh, it's not <coughs> a clip-on tie. <coughs> it's a four <coughs> in... Hand. That doesn't matter. You can't hang yourself by pulling up on a real tie either. It may take a while, but... But nothing, it won't work. Losing consciousness. Can't breathe. Blacking out. You fool. It's simple physics, man. No matter how strong you are, you can't lift your own feet off the ground by pulling up on your own necktie with one arm. Ha! Not even with both arms. That's no help. Even if you just choke yourself with your tie, the second you pass out, you'll fall to the ground, your tie goes limp around your neck, and you immediately start breathing again. Oh, this is ridiculous. This entire murder spree is undignified and not worthy of a master of the macabre like myself. I should strangle you both right here in the street if it weren't broad daylight. Oh, oh, sir, the foreign hand, is he dead? No, Harris. He tried to hang himself with his own necktie to avoid conviction. But that can't work. 
The physics of it are impossible. Yes, I know, Harris. I've tried to tell him that, but he'll never learn. Once a sexually impotent murderer who pretends to strangle women with clip-on ties, always a sexual impotent murderer who pretends to strangle women with clip-on ties. Maybe a life sentence in Belmarsh Prison will finally teach him that important lesson. I doubt it, sir. Why, Harris? Because prisoners aren't allowed to wear neckties, Chief Inspector. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite right, Harris. I guess the foreign hand will have to find mm. another way to occupy oh. his hands in his prison cell. Mm. Harris, stop fondling yourself, man. We're in public, for God's sake. Sorry, sir. Mum. Herbert. Winchester Cathedral. Oh my goodness, what a shocking, terrifying climax that was, eh? Our next segment is my quintessential spy thriller starring cheap impersonations of Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, and Mr. James Mason. Set in the Texas Hill Country, it is a chilling tale of mistaken identity, international intrigue, and barbecue. In other words, Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. Out of the over quarter million attendees who invade the city every March, would it not be weird, like Austin weird, if one man were never mistaken for another? If, with so many millions of boots moseying along the city's dirty sixth, one pair of boots never, by chance, moseyed into the wrong boot steps? All set against the backdrop of a certain famous hipster music and tech festival. Hold on to your ten-gallon hats, you all, for my harrowing tale, South by Southwest. Can't I get an Uber? That's Austin for you. You can get a taxi. My taxi if you want it. Okay then, taxi. Great, let me flip on my Uber light. I thought you said no ride shares. Relax, sir. Austin is the blueberry in the red state. You're among friends here. Where to? The Armstrong Hotel. Right away.
Now, as part of my <clears throat> taxi ride, you can open that cooler there and help yourself to a complimentary peanut patty, coke, or handgun. Thanks. What flavor? Excuse me? Of Coke. What? How about Dr. Pepper? You just said Coke. Yes, sir. So, Coke? Sure. All right. One Sprite coming up. What? Welcome to the Lone Star State, Mr. Um... Thornbill. Tasmania Tea Thornbill. We sure get a lot of Tasmania Tea Thornbills passing through the city this time of year. We can't all have exciting names like Garcia or Brown. Why, I reckon it would really be easy to totally mistake someone's identity with another Tasmania Tea Thornbill. That's the advantage of a drab name. Blending in. So, are you in town for the festival? How did you guess? Shiny, never-worn cowboy boots, still-creased western shirt and jeans. That's what every other Yankee wears when they're in town. Don't you dress this way? Hell no. I'm in sweatpants and Crocs. Texas. Not exactly my first choice of travel destination. Or practical footwear. So, are you staying at the Lance Armstrong Hotel? Speaking there, actually. Is it a big venue? They just have the one ballroom. And here we are, sir. Your destination. Very good. Any place to eat around here? Uh, just that Scorchy's taco stand next door. Well, I've got some time to kill. Guess I'll give it a try, then. Um... Goodbye, y'all. Namaste. The sacred in me recognizes the sacred in you. Wow. That didn't sound very Texan. So where's this taco stand that Kebby was telling me about? My God, the line is long. Practically around the block. All for tacos. Hey, man, it is Tuesday. Unacceptable. I don't do lines. Look, a-hole, it's a 55-minute wait. That's just how things are during festival time. Not for me. I'm a very important speaker. Delivering a very important TED Talk. So what? I'm delivering a TED Talk. So am I. And, and me. 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 Yeah. me, too. Me, too. Yeah, I'm giving one. I'm giving one. We're all delivering TED Talks, so stand in the back of the line for your tacos like everybody else. And you don't even have a lanyard. Look, I didn't become the third highest paid social media manager in the meatpacking district of Hoboken without learning the art of expedient exaggeration. You mean a lie. There are no lies in social media. Now, watch and learn. Hey, he's switching to the pickup window! Cheater, right. cheater, pumpkin eater! Order for Kaplan? That would be me. So you're... you're George Kaplan? Yes, of course. Now, give me the tacos. You don't look like Kaplan. You sure you're here for the tacos? Oh, absolutely. The shredded beef barbacoa, fried chicken, fresh avocado, cotilla cheese, queso, cilantro, onions, and a lime wedge with tomatillo sauce on a corn tortilla? That's the one. I'd sure hate for this to be a case of mistaken identity, where you'd be persecuted mercilessly by a nefarious cabal all across the countryside. Look, here's a fiver. I'm hungry, you're busy, now just give me the Scorchy's bag and everyone's happy. Sure thing, Mr. Kaplan. Thumb drive is in the flour tortilla. Long live Big Taco. Death to Lockhart. What was that about? A thumb drive? Hm. Must be a promo giveaway. At least I got myself some authentic Tex-Mex to eat. 
Oh, look. Here come two mysterious men walking mysteriously up to me. Excuse me, Mr. Kaplan. Your lift is waiting outside. You'll walk quietly between us, saying nothing. What are you talking about? Let's go. Directly. Directly where? What are y'all trying to do with me? All of who? All y'all. That's not how you use y'all. It's a gender-neutral, all-inclusive, second-person plural pronoun. I am so confused. We're big on tolerance here, Mr. Kaplan. Who are you? Mere errand boys carrying concealed weapons. It's Texas. Everyone carries concealed weapons. Hey, help! He's got a gun! Except for those of us who don't. Check it out, folks. Pistol. Brand new Smith & Wesson shield. You go, brother. What is that? Nine millimeter? Single stack. Sweet! I've got a Glock 43. It's for my TED Talk. Are you with the NRA? Yes, it was only for hunting. We're actually thugs with- Don't tell him! You'll ruin the suspense! It really would save a lot of time in running around. Fine. We work for- Phone bill away! And he took off down the sidewalk on an electric scooter. Should we rent our own e-bikes? It would reduce our carbon footprint. Scooter is dead. Somehow, I've ended up at the state capitol building, over three whole blocks away. What's this sign say out front? You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Wow, they're really proud of that. Hey, aren't you the guy who took my Scorchy's order? How did you find me? I strolled. You were moving at a slower than walking pace. The battery was low. Who are you? Lester Townsend. Mr. Captain, I presume. Quickly, let's go on the state capitol tour. I believe you are in great danger. I'm not George Kaplan. There is little sense in maintaining this fiction that you are deceiving people, Mr. Kaplan. Any more than we are deceiving you. Now into the building. Welcome to the heroes of the Texas Revolution. I'm your guide, Sissy Sue. And today, we'll be showcasing the lone star-sized heroes who fought for independence from Mexico in 1836. For freedom! And slavery! Say, what's this all about? I'm afraid you've run afoul of Big Taco. Big Taco, Big Taco, yes. That's what the kid at Scorchy said. Who are they? A cartel of shadowy purveyors of Tex-Mex. More rotten than three-day-old guacamole. They are hell-bent on destroying the barbecue scene around Austin. But what do they want from me? You have something that belongs to them. Ah, the thumb drive. You catch on quickly, Kaplan. What's on it? The secret recipe for Franklin's brisket. You're joking. Folks stand in line at Franklin's for hours, Kaplan. If you'd had the brisket, you'd know why. This is ridiculous. I'm just plain old ordinary Tasmania tea thornbill. Just one Tasmania tea thornbill in the crowd. Then if this is truly a case of mistaken identity, your only hope of survival is to deliver this thumb drive to the top of Mount Texmore. What's that? Four giant heads carved into the granite of Enchanted Rock, the gods of this place. Stephen F. Austin, Anne Richards, Willie Nelson, and Matthew McConaughey. Now hurry there before it's too late. Akiva! <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. 
Townsend! My God, he's dying! This man was whacked in the head with a bottle of vodka. Was it Tito's? Uh, no. Dripping Springs? No. Deep Eddie's? No. It says Topo Chico. That's not vodka. That's a hipster drink. And I'm dead. Give us the thumb drive, Kaplan. Who here knows what was written on the flag at the Battle of Gonzales? Come and take it. Good. Very well done. Well, bless your heart. You've gone and murdered that man with small batch liquor. No, I didn't. It, it was them. The taco thugs. They did it. Security. Phone bill away. And there he goes, folks, running away on his little Yankee legs. Now, y'all, who on the tour knows what capital punishment is? I think I lost them. Finally, I can eat these tacos. What's this? I'm being approached by an attractive platinum blonde. Hi, I'm Eva Marie Saint. Aren't we supposed to meet on a train? There are no trains in Austin, Mr. Kaplan. Except the one to Cedar Park. It's light rail. It doesn't count. What do you know about me? You've got good taste in wine, good taste in clothes, and good taste in... Tacos! Mmm! I like your flavor. Want some? I'm good. So what's a femme fatale like you, completely, and might I add, unsuspiciously approaching a wanted man like me for? Here, take this address. I'm supposed to beguile you to visit a Longhorn cattle ranch way out in the countryside. Totally not a trap. Oh, uh, and we hop in the sack at some point. Excellent. I'll visit that cattle ranch with no skepticism or regard for my life whatsoever. Thorn bill away! What an a-hole. Here I am at the Ladybird Memorial Longhorn Ranch. No one out here except the cows. Just the hot sun and blue bonnets. Surely I'll find some innocent reason Eva Marie Saint sent me into the middle of nowhere. What's that in the sky? It's a bird. It's a biplane. Good Lord, it's a flying taco truck. It's dive bombing! It's shooting hard shells at me. The cornflower shrapnel alone could kill me. Maybe if I duck and cover under these longhorns to hide from a crunchy near certain death. Oh no, it's turning and coming back! Austin's food truck scene is not fucking around. Maybe if I throw one of my Tony Lamas boots at the truck on its next pass, when it swoops, I just might disable the engine. Here it comes. Steady. Steady. Now! 
I knew this highly impractical footwear would come in handy. It's almost worth the crippling blisters. Well, off to Mount Texmore for the climactic boss battle. Thornbill away! Finally, I made it to the observation deck below Mount Texmore and I've hooked back up with Eva Marie Saint. My character's name is Kendall. Of course it is, Eva. So now that I've blindly accepted that you're actually a good guy double agent because you're a pretty blonde... Yeah, yeah, sure I am. Innocent all along, that's me. Definitely did not try to have you executed. I knew you were a good egg, Eva. So here's the plan. We climb on top of Mount Texmore, rendezvous with the mysterious head of the big taco cartel, and exchange the thumb drive for the hostages. Why are you telling me this? I'm the one who devised this plan in the first place. Of course you did. I told you five minutes ago. So, I hand over the thumb drive on top of Matthew McConaughey's head, jujitsu chop the bad guys, rescue you... Jesus, I'm standing right here! The Federal Bureau of Barbecue sweeps in and arrests the bad guys. You're freed. We carpooled here together. My name is cleared... And you and I get married and lead a stultifying life in 1950s suburban America. Or I could be a glamorous agent engaging in a thrilling life of espionage and international intrigue. Honey dear, let your husband do the thinking for both of us. Let's just climb Mount Texmore, shall we? Finally, we're at the top, and judging by the skunky smell, we're perched right on top of Matthew McConaughey. And that's all right, all right, all right. Just don't. Here comes the taco thugs with their mysterious leader. You there, what's your name? Name's Chico. Chico de Gallo. Good afternoon, Mr. Kaplan. So, you want the thumb drive and all its barbecue secrets. Yes. If Big Taco can take this brisket recipe and work it into our own barbacoa, our tacos will be irresistible. Whole generations of Texans would be slaves to our flavors. Very clever. But you haven't asked me my price yet. How much do you have in mind? The girl. Not available. Yes, I'm going to pretend I've soured on her and that I'm going to kill Eva. Kendall. Whatever. I'm throwing you off the top of Mount Texmore, so there. No sudden moves, Mr. Kaplan. Hand me the thumb drive. Ha! Ha! Karate chop! Foot sweep! Stump kick! Knee to groin! Ooh! The thumb drive! He's getting away! Let's give this timeless masterpiece of cinema montage the Benny Hill chase treatment. Whoop, 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 whoop! I'll get you, you wascally wabbit. Nyuck, nyuck, nyuck. And we struggle. I grab the bad guy's guns. All three of us? 
That doesn't seem very probable. I grab the bad guy's guns and shoot Chico de Gallo. Bang! Uh, I am hit. I am falling off Makata's head! And I hit the ground with a sickening thud! Now who's dazed and confused? Freeze! FBB! We've got you bad guys surrounded! Arrest them, boys! Right away, Chief! Curses! We are caught! If only we had exercised our Second Amendment solutions, the Black Hawk helicopters and government agents wouldn't have seized us! <sighs> Alex Jones was right! Good work, men. And thank you, Mr. Thornbill, for your help in bringing down the cartel. It was my pleasure. Hey, you knew my name. Knew it all along. Wow, Chief. I can't believe your whole plan to destroy the crime syndicate focused around this idiot. Hey! That's because nobody bumps up against Big Taco but me. So, your name is cleared, Mr. Thornbill. You can go now. Well? Well, what? Do I get the girl? <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Good joke. I guess I'll head back to the conference, then. That's probably for the best, yes. I guess you could say this plot was all hat and no kettle. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm pushing you off Mount Texmore myself. Thornbill away! What an a-hole. Chief, you want me to put it down as a suicide? More like a mercy killing. Now let's wrap this up. I'm getting hungry. What are you thinking for dinner? Want to grab some scorchies? Yeah. All right. White queso for me. Good evening again. Our next tale is about our lovable little cheeky rodent friends, the squirrels. What would happen if these adorable buttons of joy became extremely angry with us all and turned their infectious charms into a vehicle for murder? Our story begins in a luncheonette in the quiet little beachside hamlet of Bodacious Bay. Excuse me, are you the owner? Yes, ma'am. Name's Zeke. How can I help you? I wonder if I might be able to borrow... Hey, Stan! I need one walnut salad! If I might be able to borrow... One walnut salad coming up! May I use your phone? Sure thing. Here you go. Say, miss, you seem a bit shooken up. You okay? A terrible thing just happened. What kind of terrible thing? Well, I was at the schoolhouse and suddenly... Hey, Stan, I need two almond-crusted trout. Two almond-crusted trout coming up. I was at the schoolhouse and... Oh, oh yes. Hello, Daddy. Listen, Daddy, I'm here in Bodacious Bay and something terrible has happened. Well... 
I was at the schoolhouse, and the children were all singing this horrid song. Oh, I don't know, something like riggedy, raggedy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I hate that song. Every damn day we have to hear it. Right? And the bloody thing just goes on and on and on. Anyway, Daddy, I was sitting on a bench outside the schoolhouse. Hey, Stan, I need four cashew chicken with extra cashews. Four cashew chicken with extra cashews coming up. What did you say, Daddy? Why did I come here to the shithole? No offense. None taken. Well, I met this man named Skitch Brenderson at the small mammal shop in San Francisco. Uh, No, not that one. No, 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 no. The one around the corner from that one. Inside the ferry building next to the unusual game butcher shop. Well, he was there looking to buy a pair of hairless mole rats as a present for his little sister, who's something like 30 years younger than he is. But due to the terrible odor, he decided not to buy them. No, not the sister. The mole rats. Pay attention, Daddy. So then, I bought them and followed him all the way up here in hopes of having wild, uninhibited sex with him and... And? Go on, miss. And I heard his sister was at the schoolhouse. So I stopped by there and that's when it happened. No, not the sex. The terrible thing. I had turned around, and suddenly, there were all over the monkey bars. Maybe a hundred of them. Maybe more. They were chattering. Angry chatter. They were just sitting there on the monkey bars, their tails twitching, their faces twisted in murderous rage. No, not the monkeys. Jesus, Daddy. The mole rats! What? No. Is no one listening to what I'm saying? We might if you went back to the wild, uninhibited sex thing. Walnut salad is up! Picking up walnut salad. Well then, what were they, miss? The squirrels. I'm sorry, did you say the squirrels? Yes. Squirrels. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. They attacked the children. It was horrible. I can't get the sound out of my head. The sound of squirrels. No. That fucking stupid song over and over. Blithery, blathery, blah, blah, blah. Thank Christ they switched to screaming in mortal terror when they did. What's that, Daddy? Am I sure there were squirrels and not chipmunks? I don't know. Is there a difference? Yes, miss. There is indeed a tremendous... Hey, Stan! I need two pistachio sundaes. Two pistachio sundaes coming up! A tremendous difference. An extremely tremendous difference. Of course, both are members of the Scuridae family. Uh, Squirrels are of the suborder Scoromorpha, while chipmunks belong to the suborder Xeranae. Yes, Daddy, there is a difference. Some snooty old bat just schooled me about it. This lady says the squirrels attacked the kids at the school, Miss Bungle. Attack children? Why, that's preposterous. Squirrels don't attack people. These squirrels did. They attacked like a big, fuzzy, twitching gang of hoodlums. In all my years, I have... Almond-crusted trout, water up! Picking up almond-crusted trout! I have never heard of squirrels consorting in large numbers. So what are you? Some kind of squirrel expert? This is Miss Bungle. 
Bodacious Bay's current resident squirrel expert and lovable curmudgeon. Squirrels are not just my obsession, they're my vocation. She comes in here every day and tells us about squirrels. Never orders a fucking thing. I've forgotten more about squirrels than you will ever know. So in other words, you're completely mental. Look, I'm telling you, I watched those dirty little monsters try to kill the children. Dirty little monsters? My dear, squirrels are neither dirty nor are they monsters. They are little, so you got me on that one. Uh, Perhaps a bit of education is required. Allow me to show you a film about squirrels. Lucky for you, I always carry this 16mm projector with me. I'll just set it up here on this table. Oh, Lord, here we go with the projector again. There we are. There are over 200 species of squirrels living on the nine planets of our solar system. In the past year, we of the Squirrel Society counted nearly seven species in my bedroom alone. Uh, There are three types of squirrels. Tree squirrels, which live in trees. Ground squirrels, which live on the ground. And flying squirrels, which only appear in irreverent cartoon shorts. The squirrels live on the diet of... Cashew chicken, order up! Picking up cashew chicken! A diet of nuts and soup. Hey, Stan! I need two chestnut soups. Two chestnut soups coming up! As you see here, squirrels are nature's collectors. They collect, among other things, coat buttons, twigs, pieces of lint, novelty snow globes, spent bullet casings, vintage erotica, and anything bedazzled. Here we see squirrels engaging in their instinctual courtship rituals. Squirrels mate for life, but fuck around on their partners constantly. In this scene, you'll notice two male squirrels playing with their nuts. Do they do that often, Miss Bungle? Anytime they're lonely, squirrels can be quite territorial. Here you see an adult male marking his territory by setting up trip-wired punji stakes slathered with fecal matter. But most of all, squirrels bring beauty to our world. They provide a pleasing aesthetic for us all to enjoy. Here you see a young male finishing a nude portrait in oil pastels. His female subject requested that he draw her like one of your French squirrels. Note the confident sketch technique and the bold use of secondary colors. Why is he drawing big boobs on her? He likes boobs. Squirrels also enjoy pretending to be mailmen, acapella mime groups, polishing decorative spoons, and reruns of Mannix. So, there you are. Any questions? Yes. Can we watch the part with the boobs again? I don't care what you say. I saw those squirrels attack those kids. And we have to stop them before they attack again. Daddy, can you help? How? You own the biggest newspaper in the state. You can publish a warning to the public. What did you say? Who am I? I'm your daughter, Melody Spaniels. Wait, who is this? Shit, I dialed the wrong number. Here comes Skits Brenderson and Sheriff Doodleweaver. Oh, Skitch, I'm so glad you're safe. I'm fine, Melody, but your ear is bleeding. Did the squirrels do that? No, that was from listening to the goddamn stupid song over and over and over. Skitch, these people don't believe me about the squirrel attack. Well, I can tell you all that... Stashio Sundays are up! 
picking up pistachio sundaes. I can tell you that it's true. The squirrels have attacked three times now. Tell them, Sheriff. Well, now, I can't say for sure. It is true that we have just come from Dan Petrie's farm, and we did find Dan dead. From the squirrels? He was lying on the floor in a puddle of blood, covered in tiny little bite marks and surrounded by hundreds of empty walnut shells. So my guess would be natural causes. You call that natural, Sheriff? It's an occupational hazard when you own a walnut farm. The guy had a house full of walnuts. A house, a house full, full of, of walnuts? walnuts? Happens all the time in these parts. Well, I happen to believe, Miss Spaniels. I believe the squirrels are revolting. It's the end of the world. Who is that? Oh, that's just our bodacious bay resident drunk at the end of the bar. State law requires we have one. And the Lord, in his mighty wrath, rain down with squirrels upon the sins of men such which. Eohippus 1213. What do you think we should do if they attack again, Sheriff? The smart thing would be to hunker down inside a safe structure. Yes, Kitch. You and I should hunker down in one of the hotel rooms upstairs. We could lock the door and turn up the stereo to hide the sound of the screaming and moaning. The sounds of the people being attacked. Yes, that too, I suppose. Excuse me, but could you possibly keep your voices down? You're scaring the children. It's the end of the world! Hey, Stan, I need one slice of pecan pie. One slice of pecan pie coming up! What can I do for you? Give me a scotch. Neat. Sure thing. Make it quick, will you? I gotta be in Walnut Creek by six. Here you go. What's with all the chipmunks? What did you say? All those chipmunks sitting outside, staring at this place. Skitch, look! Those aren't chipmunks. They're squirrels. Is there a difference? There is indeed a difference. A tremendous difference. An extremely tremendous difference. Here, let me show you a film about it. No, no. 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 That's okay. We're That's good. That's okay. Uh-uh. They're swarming. Getting ready to attack. Please stop. You're frightening my kids half to death. Actually, we're fine, Mom. No, you're not. You're terrified. Mom, I'm not scared. I'm 32 years old. And I'm 34. And we're both special forces operatives. I've killed 15 people. Fine. Just finish your Sunday so we can get out of this town. Well, I'm getting out of here. You can follow me if you want. Okay. Come on, boys. We're following this man. Why? Because I said so. But we're going in the opposite direction. One more word out of you, and I will turn this car around right now. Pecan pie, order up! Picking up pecan pie. <laughs> They're attacking again. <laughs> oh my god, look! That salesman, he's lighting up a cigarette. Is the gas pump gonna explode? No, I just really want a cigarette. Look at that. He blew up anyway. Hey, look. Here comes Mr. Spivey. Bodacious Bay's resident slow-moving postal worker. He's trying to make it here to the luncheonette. You can make it, Mr. Spivey. Run! Ah! Oh, he never saw that tripwire. 
Who knew squirrels could implement deadly Vietnam War-era booby trap techniques? I did, but no, don't listen to me. I'm only the bloody expert on squirrels. What happened to that mother and her two full-grown children? There. There, I see them. Are they okay? Oh, God. Don't look. You don't want to see. Are they being torn to shreds by hundreds of tiny razor-sharp incisors? No. The mom is giving them a time out. It's really embarrassing. Oh, skitch. Why is this happening? I think because the boys were disrespecting their mother, and so she had to... No, no, no. I mean the squirrels. Why are they attacking us? Oh, no. That chubby balding man in the dark suit and thin necktie is surrounded. Sheriff Doodleweaver, can't you do something? Oh, that British guy? He's always walking around town like he's giving a tour and talking about murder. I won't miss him. Fair enough. I'm good with it. Doesn't make any sense. Why would squirrels want to harm us? Hey, Stan, I need two baby squirrel chowders with pine nuts. Two baby squirrel chowders with pine nuts coming up. It's a mystery to be sure. What do you think, Miss Bungle? I could only speculate, but consider this. For millions and millions of years, squirrels ruled this earth as the supreme ruler of all creatures. In fact, the word squirrel comes from the Latin and literally means ferocious fuzzy tyrant king. Wow, those Latin squirrels sure were smart. But when man arrived on this planet with his guns and his bombs and his suede-fringed vests and egg timers and Hello Kitty stickers and cilantro and dry erase markers, the squirrels were replaced as the dominant species. Perhaps the squirrels inherently remember how their dynasty was disrupted by our kind. Perhaps, after all these centuries, they are now prepared to reclaim their rightful place as the lord and master of this world. Wow, that's terrifying. It's the end of the world. Either that or I've been wrong all this time and squirrels are just assholes. I think they're leaving now. Thank goodness. Yes, good thing. I've got a date with our resident sassy spinster, widow Midge Morningwood for Hamantaschen and Finger Limes. Uh, Sheriff, I, I think that's Midge Morningwood laying dead in the street. More Hamantaschen for me. Have a nice day. What do we do now, Skitch? We've got to get out of here before they attack again. We can take your car and try to get as far south as we can. There's a little motel just off the freeway. Motel? Hot damn, I'm in. We can rest and shower there. Yes. Oh, sure. I know that place. Say hi to Norman for me. We'll just pick up my sister and we'll be on our way. Your sister? Oh, shit. Forgot about her. Isn't she why you came here? To bring her the hairless mole rats? Oh, right. Forgot about them, too. Let's just get to the motel and you can call and check in on her from there. I'm sure she can handle running things while you're gone. She's six years old. Kids gotta grow up sometime. I guess you're right. Come on. Let's get to my car. That nice motel room and shower await. Oh, uh, just a heads up. My car might smell like two dead hairless mole rats, so... Baby squirrel chowder with pine nuts. Water up. Picking up baby squirrel chowder with pine nuts. Well, Miss Bungle, I don't know about you, but I've seen enough squirrels for one day. I'm afraid I must agree, Zeke. I'm done with the study of squirrels. I believe I'll embark on a new field of study, something less formidable. Like what, Miss Bungle? Hmm. Birds are harmless enough. Let me show you a film I have here about birds. It's the end of the squirrels. 
Well, wasn't that just a fantastic piece of I don't even know what. Our final feature tonight is also my most controversial and is a rather rare deviation from my typical form. Those dreadful know-nothings at the studio insist my pictures are too bleak for the common movie-going public and they suggested that I collaborate with another creative agent. Thus they have arranged for me to work with famed children's poet and author Dr. Noose. You know Noose, the fellow who wrote those obnoxious limericks such as The Chap in the Cap and How the Flinch Saved Fishmas. Oh, I must say, I read some of those poorly illustrated pamphlets to my children and always found them to be nothing but utter rubbish. Anyhow, the experience of working with Dr. Noose on set was rather interesting because he was a bit of an eccentric. Sometimes he would go about the set raving and wailing, having terrible fits, bordering on madness. Occasionally, he'd corner a member of the crew and menace them. You know, the typical celebrity fare, but he had his bad days too. Anyhow, being two strong-willed creative types, we often didn't see eye to eye. I recall one day, having lost my temper, I said to him, How bloody hard is it to write poetry when you can just make up whatever gibberish words you like to fill in the meter? Well, he roared with laughter and we became the dearest of friends ever since. Of course, all of this was before Dr. Noose was convicted of those grisly hitchhiker murders. Oh, dreadful business. As his close personal friend, I remain adamant to this day of his complete and irrefutable guilt. Yes, the man is a monster and must be locked up for the sake of decent society. And now, without further ado, I hope you will all enjoy my collaboration with the legendary, albeit heinously violent, Dr. Noose, entitled Non-Acquaintances on the conveyances. See, that's exactly what I mean. Non-acquaintances. That isn't even a word, is it? It's just some ginned-up, gobbledy gibberish used to create an amusing poem for people under the age of six. Non-acquaintances on the conveyances by Albert Kitchlock and Dr. Noose. Chapter One. Strangers on a Train You've heard it said often, you've heard them explain. If you must commute somewhere, you must take a train. Oh, a train? Yes, a train. A swift ship without sails. A sleek silver eagle on glittering rails. And the people aboard, oh, such people you'll meet. New friends to be made in the very next seat. So our story begins, on a train of all places, a story of dangerous friends with strange faces. A beautiful day, all the birds were out singing, the squirrels were out squirreling, the bees were out stinging. 
but alone on a train, staring off into space, with a miserable, heartbroken look on his face, sat a quiet young man who goes by the name Sly. He's our protagonist, although don't ask me why. Hmm? As he stared out the window at countryside passing, Sly wondered how long his foul luck could keep lasting. But had he paused once to consider the matter, he'd realize that bad days can always get badder. A sudden commotion broke Sly's concentration. He turned to politely express his frustration. When in through the doorway, just left of stage right, there burst a remarkable, mind-blowing sight. It was almost a fox, though it wasn't quite that. Impeccably dressed in a crimson cravat. I am Bruno, it said, adding, How do you do? I have so many tricks I can't wait to show you. On its head, it had balanced two fish in a bowl, while it juggled a chainsaw and telephone pole and a barrel of acid, a bundle of wire, a stack of fine china, and something on fire, a flat-screen TV with a remote control, a whole pumpkin pie, plus a half-casserole. And it juggled these things on a pogoing stick. That's not all. That's not all. There is more to my shtick. I will now add a hive of ticked-off killer bees. And he tossed up the nest with incredible ease. That's not all, that's not all. Watch what else I can do. And he started to yodel while juggling too. And he did all these tricks without breaking a sweat. That's not all, that's not all. No, I'm not finished yet. Then he pulled out a gun and played Russian roulette. But between all the bees and the gun interlude, it bit off more bite than is easily chewed. For before it could say, That's not all! That's not all! The fox lost its balance and started to fall. The chainsaw, the acid, the china, the wire, the TV, the bee's nest, the something on fire, the casserole, fishbowl and telephone pole, every dang blasted item flew out of control. I got it! I got it! The weird fox thing said as the perilous pile came down on Sly's head. Well, Sly was not thrilled when that big tower spilled. You should watch where you juggle. You'll get someone killed. But instead of the fox thing apologizing... For the pogo stick antics destabilizing, its mouth hung wide open in total surprise, and a very strange look filled its bright little eyes. Now I knew that I know you, it said with a shriek. You're the fellow who won the big lotto last week. And it plopped down on top of the empty train seat, and it stuck out its hand in a gesture to greet. If you please call me Bruno, cause Bruno I am. I'm resilient and clever and don't give a damn. I'm ecstatic to meet you, Sly said with a frown. For a lottery winner, you sure do look down. 
I've never felt gladder before in my life. Is it some kind of matter concerning your wife? How do you know I was married? I don't wear the ring. Well, a fox of my nature knows all sorts of things. I was reading about you today in the news and one of the tabloids I sometimes peruse. I'm a ravenous reader of cheap scandal sheets because it pays to stay up on affairs of elites. And I read that your wife has been running around with every available man in the town. I don't have to sit here and listen to slander. When printed, it's libel. Sit down, take a gander. It opened the paper and turned to page three to a picture of Sly and his ex-wife-to-be. Here it says that Sly Gaines and his lovely wife Joyce are calling it quitsville and getting divorced. She cheated a lot, living life rather wild, then went and got pregnant with some stranger's child. She looked in that pic like the girl from next door, not at all like a chick who might act like a... Hey! Sorry. Was it really required they print in the papers a six-column spread on her sexual capers? I've heard from a very reliable source that your wife now refuses to get a divorce. She's the kind to go changing her mind on the fly. Also, now that you're rich, you're not such a bad guy. Oh, so now that I've got all this lottery dough, now you want me around and you won't let me go? Mm-hmm. But I won't stay at home every night in this jail. It's my right to go out and get rowed like a rail. To tell you the truth, boy, it sure will be swell when she's pushing up daisies and rotting in hell. And at that, Bruno flashed a most devious smile and said, Sly, my guy, we are just the same style. I know what it's like to hate someone so bad. I'm exactly the same when it comes to my dad. Since the day I was born, that man's hated my guts. Wants to lock me away because he thinks that I'm nuts. Makes me clean up my room and he spanks my rear end. Won't allow me to drink or go get a girlfriend. I could stay here all day and list off his offenses. The worst thing of all, he cut off my expenses. Has piles of money but says I should work. Get a job, punch a clock like some everyday jerk. That's why I do tricks on this train and panhandle. I've all from that man that I can stand to handle. Too bad there's no way we can help one another. I think that there is. Let me tell you how, brother. See, I have an idea. An awful idea. Yes, I have a wonderful, awful idea. The fox leaned in closer towards Sly in his seat. Well, it starts very simply when two strangers meet. See, this way, there's no way of connecting the dots. Just two perfect strangers with two murder plots. Each wants someone dead, but has motive to stop them. So what do they do? Take their murders and swap them. A crisscross, you see. I do yours, you do mine. And we both get away with no motives to find. The police won't suspect that two persons in tandem conspired a plot to go kill someone random. We get a good alibi under our belts, and they'd let us both off because we'd be somewhere else. Our problems would perish with Joyce and my dad. And once they're both buried, good times can be had! Just call me an old-fashioned, slow on the draw, but the last time I checked, that was breaking the law. Oh, don't be so boring, so vastly mind-numbing. They're better off dead, plus they both have it coming. And thus, all the chit-chat Sly first found quixotic now took a hard left to be straight-up psychotic. He knew that he had to get off of this train, and away from this fox 
who was clearly insane. Well, I've got to be going. Just look at the time. But first share your thoughts on my ultimate crime. It's a splendid idea. Yeah, good luck with all that. Sly said to the fox in the crimson cravat. I'm so happy to hear you're completely on board. And Sly, in his rush, left that comment ignored as he scurried right up from his seat, now post-haste. I'll start it right now. There is no time to waste. Then Sly said, Goodbye. And walked out in a hurry. His furry new friend said, There's no need to worry. The look on its kisser was calm and composed. For both of our problems will soon be disposed. Chapter 2 An Affair at the Fair As the day fades away and the evening set in, a lady in glasses set out for some sin. (laughs) So along with two dates named Tom 1 and Tom 2, who had yet to agree who'd go first when they screwed the the lady in glasses and polka dot blouse, who you've probably guessed now is Sly's estranged spouse, (laughs) quite eager for somewhere to get some fresh air thought tonight a great night to go out to the fair. (laughs) An affair at the fair. Just imagine the scandal. If Sly found this out, he would fly off the handle. Did Joyce give a damn? No, not one tiny bit. When it came to her husband... I don't give a shit. So Tom One and Tom Two and their date in the glasses walked up to the booth and bought three adult passes. The Toms then high-fived, oh, right. as both felt very sure that tonight was the night they were both going to score and etch a new mark in the belts which they notched. But Joyce felt uneasy, like she's being watched. So she turned right around, and she faced what she feared. What she saw wasn't scary, the thing was just weird. It looked like a fox, but impeccably dressed in a crimson cravat and a navy blue vest. And it juggled and yodeled and bounced like a spring. And she thought to herself, What an odd little thing. But she shrugged off her worry and rejoined the pair of the two horny toms, and they entered the fair. The lady and toms, who were really both randy. They walked and they laughed. <laughs> yeah, that's rich. <laughs> and they ate cotton candy. And yet all the while, she still felt unnerved. She could not shake the feeling of being observed. So she turned back around, and again, he was there, on his pogoing stick, bouncing up in the air. But instead of playing weird, now this time, it was funny. <laughs> Plus, judged by his suit, he just might have some money. She batted her eyes at the fox down the aisle. It returned a wink and a wry little smile. And now she supposed that he'd sort of looked cute <sighs> in his crimson cravat and his navy blue suit. The calliope blasted its steam-powered sound when the three got in line for the merry-go-round. Now she looked for the fox, but at first couldn't find him, then looked in the line that was forming behind them. And there he was, waiting, 
cravat nicely tied, just a couple spots back in the line for the ride. <sighs> when the time came to pick out the horse of their choice, the dashing young fox took the steed behind Joyce. Then the ride began spinning, and Joyce began singing. The lights of the fairgrounds all started a swinging. And once in a while, she chanced back a glance at the dapper young fox with a hint of romance. Oh, you're cute. And the handsome young fox threw a smile right back, because up to this point, his whole plan was on track. When they got off the ride, then the toms and the dame went to go win a prize at the high striker game. Come one and come all, give the hammer a swing. If you ain't fucking weak, you can make the bell ring. And so up to the stall strode the girl in the specs, with Tom one and Tom two both still hopeful for sex. Did I mention? She said. I like muscular men. And the Toms were both eager to play the game then. So the first up to bat looked like Tom number two. And he swung all he could. <coughs> but the puck barely flew. Next, Tom number one tried to show he was strong. So he slammed down the mallet. But two was proved wrong. And then both of the Toms said, The scam was a scam. When the fox grabbed the hammer and gave it a slam, the puck flew way up to the top of the thing, and it struck the steel bell with an ear-splitting ring. The fox is a winner. Well, what a surprise. This lucky young fox can go pick out a prize. The fox scanned the toys on the shelf in a whirl and picked out a bear, which it gave to the girl. Oh, <laughs> How that sweet, thoughtful gift worked to make the girl blush. And the Toms, seeing this, pulled her off in a rush. And they took her away to the edge of the park, where the lights did not reach, so that sector was dark. And they came to the boat ride, corroded with rust. Who'll go on a trip through the tunnel of lust? As the Toms both discussed it and tried to decide which Tom should accompany Joyce on the ride, the next thing they knew, their cute lady was gone, cast off in a boat that was shaped like a swan. Now spent from their heated, confusing kerfuffle, the Toms both went home to play five-knuckle shuffle. Leaving Joyce in a boat in the dark on her own, but she still had the feeling she wasn't alone. When the voice said, Excuse me, she jumped like a cat. Then she saw that sweet fox in the crimson cravat, <laughs> sitting there in her swan with a smile so charming, she thought he seemed harmless and wholly disarming. It asked, By some chance, would your name be Joyce, miss? And she answered, It is. And leaned in for a kiss. Mm. And that's when it lunged, and it grabbed for her throat, and their fight nearly sunk the decrepit swan boat. For she kicked and she screamed, and she tried to cry. Help! But his grip was too tight. All that came out was, Yelp! 
When her glasses got smashed at some point in the struggle, she bashed the bee's nest he brought with him to juggle. She felt very dumb that she nearly had kissed him and wished she had not left the Tom-Buddy system. The more she resisted, the harder it strangled, then bent her neck back at a very bad angle. And so ended the life of that harlot named Joyce. Now Sly has no need to go get a divorce. Chapter 3 Do It, Do It, Just For Me It was four in the morning by Sly's alarm clock, when, aroused from his sleep by a furious knock, Sly went to the door and undid the bolt locks. And who else would he see there but Bruno the fox? <laughs> but sleepily, Sly had not one goddamn clue who was at his front door. Who the Sam Hill are you? Why, Sly, my old pal, please don't say you forgot your new best buddy, Bruno. I've missed you a lot. He tried to recall, but he did so in vain. Then it finally struck him. The fox from the train? I was just passing by. So the clever fox lied. Thought I'd see how you've been. Won't you ask me inside? No, come back again when it's not 4 a.m. And he threw the door shut in its face with a slam. But as Sly turned around to head back to his bed, hmm? he found the weird fox thing behind him instead. Ta-da! Why, Sly, I'm surprised you're this rude to a chum. Still, I brought you a gift, which should lift you up some. Then it pulled out a pair of half-pulverized specks, which looked like the kind always worn by his ex. Then the room started spinning. Sly thought he'd be sick. I was sure it was painless and all over quick. Sly picked up the frames with the fragmented glass, and he felt all his guts fall down into his arse. Did you think I'd forget to go through with our plan? I'd knock off your wife and you waste my old man, just like we arranged when we met on the train. But Sly shook his head. You're completely insane. This crazy idea was all yours from the start, and I never agreed to join in or take part. Sly, it breaks my poor heart when you speak those cruel lies. Call me crazy again and I'll stab out your eyes. And besides, it's too late. She's already quite dead. And to prove it to you, look, I chopped off her head. And it pulled out her noggin and stuffed in its paw. And she worked like a puppet by moving her jaw. I'm so happy, so lucky. I love being dead. The fox's new fun severed head puppet said, Say I bet Bruno's pops would think death is the tops. You should hop on his chest till his pacemaker stops. Get out of my house, you sick murderous cad. Stop being a dick and just go kill his dad. Never come back again, Sly proclaimed in a shout. Get the fuck out of here. Did you hear me? Get out. That Bruno lad, that Bruno lad. I cannot stand that Bruno lad. Hey, don't forget to kill my dad. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. Will you kill him, please, today? I will not kill him, not today. I will not do it. Go away. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. Where to, Mac? 
Hmm? Will you grab him in a cab? Will you give his back a stab? I will not grab him in a cab. I will not give his back a stab. I will not kill him. Not today. I will not do it. Go away. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. Will you ice him in a blizzard? Will you face him with a wizard? <laughs> not in a blizzard or a cab? With a wizard or a stab? No. I will not kill him. Not today. I will not do it. Go away. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. Do it, do it, just for me. Put this poison in his tea. I won't put poison in his tea. Try it, try it, and you'll see it makes him bleed internally. I won't put poison in his tea to make him bleed internally. I will not ice him in a blizzard. Will not face him with a wizard. No. Will not grab him in a cab. I will not give his back a stab. I will not kill him. Not today. I will not do it. Go away. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. A train, a train, a train, a train. You should hit him with the train. Not with a train or with his tea. You're so insane. Why can't you see? Why not drop him down a well? Just say he tripped before he fell. I will not drop him down a well. Then overdose him on cocaine. Won't overdose him on cocaine, not down a well or with a train, and won't put poison in his tea. You're so insane. Why can't you see? Not in a cab or in a blizzard, with a stab or with a wizard. No. I will not kill him. Not today. I will not do it. Go away. You do not want to kill my dad? I do not want to, Bruno lad. Push him down 39 steps. Sitcom star Maynard G. Krebs. Good stuff, Maynard. I do not want Maynard G. Krebs to push him down 39 steps or overdose him on cocaine, nor will I hit him with a train. Not down a well or drug his tea. You go to hell. Don't bother me. I will not ice him in a blizzard. Will not face him with a wizard. Will not grab him in a cab. I will not give his back a stab. I will not kill him. Not today. I will not do it. Go away. I do not want to kill your dad. I will not do it, Bruno lad. You don't like killing, so you say. Try it. Try it. And you may. <sighs> you know, Bruno, you are right. If I try it, I just might. It seems I'm left one thing to do, and that one thing is killing you. Kill me? Kill me? Just you try? You think you can, but soon you'll die! Now I will kill you, Bruno lad. It's time to die. Your fun's been had. I'll push you down 39 steps with sitcom star Maynard G. Krebs. I'll overdose you on cocaine. I'll drug your tea and use a train. And then I'll drop you down a well. You're gonna die and go to hell. I will ice you in a blizzard. I will face you with a wizard. I will grab you in a cab. I will give your back a stab. 
I will kill you. Yes, today. It's time to die and go away. So long, Bruno. I'll be glad. So goodbye, goodbye, Bruno lad. And what happened then? Well, the autopsies show that he stabbed Bruno's heart 20 times in a row. And he threw it downstairs, and he poisoned its tea. And because Sly was wealthy, he got off scot-free. Plus his wife was still dead, so Sly walked on cloud nine. So I guess all in all, things had worked out just fine. But don't let this rare and somewhat happy ending inspire a habit of random befriending. Yes, failing to warn you of life's many dangers. Just take my advice, and please, don't talk to strangers. Ah, well, I do hope you have very much enjoyed Albert Kitchlock Presents the Films that blew too much. Until next time, this is Albert Kitchlock saying, Excuse me, but where's that worthless girl with my lunch? It's been nearly an hour and I'm famished. I do require a rather prodigious amount of food with a high caloric intake to maintain my sense of macabre. Seriously, it's rather paltry offerings, I must say. The food here in America is way too spicy for my palate. I've got tremendous gas pain. Well, how do you like that for gratitude, huh? Those punks at the Revival League and those damn dirty geeks had an Albert Kitschlock special and forgot to invite me? I was in four fucking films. Didn't think I'd find out, did they? Well, nothing hides from old Jimmy Stewart and his trusty telescope, boy. Say, what's this across the street? Oh, why, it's the credits. What do they say here? Hmm. Uh, Albert Kitschlock presents the films that blew too much. Was a cross-stream production between Damn Dirty Geeks and the Revival League and is a work of satire based on the life works of Alfred Hitchcock. Batshit was written, directed, and edited by Ryan Smith. Dial in for Necktie was written, directed, and edited by Scott Weitz. South by Southwest was written and directed by Greg Talley and edited by Ryan Smith. The Squirrels was written, directed, and edited by Frank Dietz. Non-Acquaintances on the Conveyances was additionally based on the life works of Dr. Seuss and was written, directed, and edited by Rob Maynard. This radio play featured the voice talents of Frank Dietz, Leanne Dietz, Tim Blaney, Alexis Iacono, Rico E. Anderson, Jennifer Lynn Warren, Grant Bacioco, Grant Bachoco, Jackie Naaman Jones, Scott Weitz, Ian Morrison, Jack Bennett, uh, Gerg Talley, Greg Talley, Ryan Smith, Bryce Cranston, Rob Maynard, Ron McAdams, Zoe Plate, and starring Kirk Thatcher as Albert Kitschlock. Original music by Willie T. Golden. Additional music from Pond 5. 
effects by Storyblocks, SoundSnap, Pond5, and Free Sound Effects. Recording by Frank, Ryan, and Rob. Promotional poster art by Daniel Vincent Bigelow. Radio Playtext Copyright 2019 by Ryan Smith, Scott Weitz, Gerg Talley, oh, well, that's, that's Greg Talley, Frank Dietz, and Rob Maynard. Production Copyright 2019 by Jefferson Hospitality, LLLP. Hmm, uh, that looks to be the end of it. Grace, bring me my foot scratcher. Wait, wait, wait a minute, huh? Oh, for crying out loud, is that old fool still blathering on down there? Sitting here in the studio, thank God there's not a mic near my bottom. I've been setting out clouds that would stop a moose. Oh dear, is the microphone still on? I apologize, I do hope I haven't offended anyone. But I am, is that girl coming? I don't know who I need to berate anymore to get my food. This is ridiculous. In England, they offer me tea by the gallon at least every 20 minutes. You would think a man of my reputation in America, with the number of films and television programs I've made, would be treated with more respect. Anyway, while we're waiting, I did work on becoming a bit more familiar with contemporary music of the day, what I believe you all call the music of rap or rap music. I've studied it and I do believe I've become rather adept at the intricacies of the lyrics that these lovely young gentlemen have written. There's one in particular I'm quite fond of, and I'd like to do a small section of it for your entertainment while we're waiting for that stupid girl. Seriously, this is an outrage. <clears throat> I said a hip hop, hippity to the hippity, the hip hop, and you don't stop and rock it out, Bubba, to the bang bang bougie, booby to the bougie to the rhythm of the bougie, the beat. Now, what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat and me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. Yes, you see, I am Wonder Albert, and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the white, to the red and the brown, the purple, the yellow, but first I got her bang, bang, the bougie, to the bougie, say up, jump, the bougie, to the bang, bang, bougie, to the bougie beat. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the rhythm that'll make your body rock. Well, so far you've heard my voice, but I've brought two other gentlemen along, and the next on the mic is my main man, Hank. Come on now, Hank. Is also known as Harold. Sing that song, please, won't you all check it out? Something along those lines, I'm still working on the meter, as the music I find is quite raucous and aggressive. I do prefer something along the lines of a classic Stravinsky piece that will relax me 
while I eat my lunch. Seriously, I shall get up from this chair and waddle around until I'm fed. I will not be treated like this. What's, what's this? Oh. Oh, this is a website showing various films of young women in lingerie. I see. And what I, I press the little arrow. Oh, oh, that's lovely. This reminds me of the dressing room trailer I had set up for Tippi Hedren on the movie The Squirrels. Yes, I could view her while she changed into a various wardrobe. In fact, I, I greased the palm of the wardrobe mistress to make sure that she always had to change her undergarments, no matter what she was wearing over them, so I could enjoy visualizing it. It was part of the directing process, you know. You need to know everything about your characters, down to their undergarments. All very professional, I must say. It is rather amusing when Tippy found out about this. She did approach me and was rather upset, but I comforted her by feeding her a prodigious amount of alcohol, spiked with alcohol. Oh, what fun times that was. All right, I think I've overstayed my welcome. I'm leaving this dreaded studio to go find some food upon my own. Since that stupid girl is... Seriously, this is outrageous. I, I just... If someone could help me get out of this chair, it's a bit tight around my midsection. Seriously, I... Oh, oh bugger, this is... Oh, can we just... Oh, Yeah. <laughs>